Hallelujah. Um, go ahead and open your Bibles up to Psalm 73. Do the ushers have a handkerchief? It is hot up here. Um, uh, I was not here this morning. I was in um, Pittsburgh. We officially installed Pastor Adam as the pastor there. But I told him, don't get too comfortable because he's coming to speak here next Sunday morning. So he's installed over there, but he'll be back because we didn't actually officially get to send him off the way that we would like to send him off because we just don't say, okay, we'll see you later, you know, goodbye. Um, but we actually want to do it the right way. So he's going to come back next Sunday morning. He'll be preaching. And then, um, and then we're going to have a little uh, after glow. I guess you'd call it. We're going to be able to go over to the uh, to the Pink Cafe, and we're going to spoof Pastor Adam. And how many of you know he's easy to spoof? He's easy to roast. Let's put it that way. If you've ever, those of you who are a little older, they used to have thank you uh, roasters, and they used to roast people. Well, we're going to all roast Pastor Adam, so it should be a lot of fun. He is so easy, like I said, to roast because uh, he's he makes so many mistakes. <laughs> so it's going to be easy, so uh, they're getting some skits together, so it should be a lot of fun. Before we start reading in Psalm 73, I, I, I found this little joke, and I thought that uh, some of you really might like this. This guy, Dennis, goes to a local revival and listens to a, the preacher. After a while, the preacher asks anyone with needs that they want to get prayed for, come forward to the front of the altar. So Dennis gets in line, and when it's his turn, the preacher asks, Dennis, what do you want me to pray about for you? Dennis replies, well, pastor, I need you to pray for my hearing. The pastor puts one finger in Dennis's ear, and he places the other hand in the other, other side of Dennis's head, and he prays, and he prays, and he prays. And after a while, the pastor removes his fingers from Dennis's ear. He stands back and he says, Dennis, how's your hearing now? Dennis says, I don't know, pastor. It ain't until next Wednesday. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> See, if that would have happened in this church, we would have immediately understood hearing. <laughs> Amen. Psalm 73, you all got it? This is a psalm that I think is very, very relevant, especially for a time right now during Christmas time. And um, I'm going to be reading it to you in the Message Bible. And it kind of um, says it like it is, but you can follow along in your version. It says, no doubt about it, God is good, good to good people, good to the good-hearted but I nearly missed it, missed seeing his goodness. I was looking the other way, looking up to the people at the top, envying the wicked who have it made, who have nothing to worry about, not a care in the whole wide world. Pretentious with arrogance, they wear the latest fashions in violence, pampered and overfed, decked out in silk bows of silliness. They jeer using words to kill. They bully their way with words. They're full of hot air. Loud mouths disturbing the peace. People actually listen to them. Can you believe it? 
Like thirsty puppies, they lap up their words. What's going on here? Is God out to lunch? Nobody's tending the store. The wicked get by with everything. Have you ever thought like that? Man, the wicked get away with everything. I don't get away with nothing. Yeah, no, you've thought that before. Well, don't think you're the first. This is Asaph. He already thought of it, and he wrote it down. He says, the wicked, they get by with everything. They have it made, piling up riches. I've been stupid to play by the rules. What has gotten me, what has it gotten me? A long run of bad luck. That's what, a slap in the face every time I walk out the door. If I'd have given in and talked like this, I would have betrayed your dear children. Still, when I tried to figure it out, all I got was a splitting headache. Until, or some of your Bibles say, yet. Until I entered the sanctuary of God, then I saw the whole picture. The slippery road you put them on with a final crash in a ditch of delusions. In the blink of an eye, disaster. A blind curb in the dark and nightmare. We wake up and rub our eyes. Nothing. There's nothing to them and there never was. When I was beleaguered and bitter, totally consumed by envy, I was totally ignorant, a dumb ox in your very presence. I'm still in your presence, but you've taken my hand. You wisely and tenderly led me, and then you blessed me. You're all I want in heaven. You're all I want on earth. When my skin sags and my bones get brittle, God is rock firm and faithful. Look, those who left you are falling apart. Deserters, they'll never be heard from again, but I'm in the very presence of God. Oh, how refreshing it is. I've made Lord God my home. God, I'm telling the world what you do. Amen? Go ahead and have a seat. How many of you have never read that psalm before? Okay, well, that psalm is for all of us who have ever looked to the wicked and said, man, they got, they got some stuff. They got better stuff than I do. You ever looked at your neighbor and they look, man, they've got a BMW, they got a Mercedes, they've got a Lexus, and all you got is this clunker? They go, man, I'm serving God. Why do they got all the toys and I don't got any? That's how we think sometimes. There's this illustration. My husband used it, and I, I never forgot it. It was about a family that had twin boys whose only resemblance to each other was that they looked exactly the same. But if one felt too hot, the other one was too cold. If one said the TV was too loud, the other one said the TV needed to be turned up. In every way, they were opposite. One was an eternal optimist, and the other was a doom and gloom pessimist. Just to see what would happen on the twins' birthday, their father loaded the pessimist room with every imaginable toy and game. They had everything. They had PS2. They had, that's all I know <laughs> for toys. I don't know. But the optimist room, he loaded it up with horse manure. That night, the father passed by the pessimist room, and he found him sitting around his new gifts, and he was crying. And the father goes, why are you crying? He goes, because 
My friends will be jealous. I'll have to read all these instructions before I do anything. And then I'll need batteries all the time. And my toys are going to get broken. And the father says, oh, Lord. So he went to the optimist room. And the father found this optimist dancing for joy in a pile of manure. And he says, what are you so happy about? And the optimist twin said, look at all this manure. There's got to be a pony in here somewhere. <laughs> somewhere in all that dung, <laughs> there's, there's a pony. See, sometimes it just doesn't look like life is fair. Sometimes it looks like the non-believers have more blessings than we do. Psalm 73 was written by a man named Asaph. He was a very mature man, a godly man, and he served as the worship leader and the choir director in the temple. He was actually the author of 12 different psalms. And he was used of God in many ways. But in this psalm, he reveals his struggles with temptation. He reveals his struggles with bitterness with anger and even envy. Asaph started to regress toward bitterness when he looked out and he saw the wicked, the unsaved, the ungodly. They had prosperity. They had pleasures. They had privileges. And he felt like he had none. Verses 3 to 12 gives us an idea of how Jealous and envious Asaph had become. Even though he was a choir director, even though he was a music leader, even though he did great things and God used him because he was even used in a prophetic way. And he was being used, but still he looked out and he goes, but look at what they got and look at what I got. No matter how far we grow in the Lord, no matter how much God uses our life, no matter how greatly he can move through us, we are still capable of slipping back into bitterness. We're still capable of envy. We're still capable of losing focus on Jesus. I don't care how long you've been serving God. Some of us can become bitter and angry and impatient with God when we compare ourselves to other people. Remember when Jesus told Peter, when Peter tried to compare his fate with John? And in John 21, Jesus tells him, and I love the way he tells him. He just tells it like it is. He goes, if I want John to remain till I come back, what is that to you? What is that to you? You follow me. Like, stop comparing yourself. Stop looking at somebody else and say, well, what about them? What about them? I know. I used to do that when I was first saved. I'm like, what about them? How come you don't talk to them like you talk to me? How come they don't get the same discipline I got? How come? How come? How come? And you're always looking at other people and pointing, and Jesus is telling you, what is that to you? Stop crying. Stop being a baby. Sometimes we feel like our work is not appreciated. Or that it makes just a little difference in the world and in the family that we're involved in. And we can all fall into this bitterness trap. See, Asaph was at that point where he felt that the service that he was doing for the Lord was in vain. 
Nobody ever complimented him. Nobody ever told him, good job. Nobody ever said, man, that was awesome. Nobody ever did that. And after a while, when you don't get the encouragement and you don't get somebody patting you on the back and you don't get somebody saying, man, I appreciate you, then after a while, you just kind of let things get inside of you and you begin to look out and you go, man, they got it better than I do. Man, I'm, I, I'm driving a car and I don't even have a window. I got plastic. I got water coming in. I got this. I'm running on empty. I don't even know if I'm going to get there. And you're crying and you're crying and you're crying. And then you begin to allow the enemy to divert your focus and go, whoa, look at them, man. They're not even serving God. And they got a brand new car, 2009. And I'm over here with a 1981. Are there anybody here? No. <laughs> Sometimes we work for the Lord and we don't think that our work is valued. Even though God had used him in such a tremendous way, even though God had prophesied through him for other people, Asaph was ready to pick up his toys and go home. He was ready to say, you know what? I'm done. The reason that he was ready to do this is because his perception of reality was mixed up. Now this psalm, if you really read it and take some time to study it, it's got a lot of heart in there. It's got a lot of honesty. It's got a lot of personal stuff that he put on paper for us to read. See, Asaph asks the question that many of us have asked of ourselves and of each other at one time. If God is supposed to bless believers, then why am I struggling? Why am I struggling with my health? Why am I struggling with my finances? Why am I struggling with relationships? Why am I, why am I struggling? And it looks like all the unbelievers, man, they're having prosperity. They're having a grand old time. They're partying. They're going good. And I ain't got nothing. Don't we as God's children deserve those things? Shouldn't we have everything that we need? Shouldn't we have good health? Shouldn't we have lots of money? Shouldn't we have no problems so that we could be free to do what God wants us to do? Or maybe we could just put it another way. Say, why are the wicked successful and the righteous suffering? If God is good, shouldn't we have more good things in our life? Shouldn't we have more blessings than those who don't even care about God? See, the answer, if I were to ask you and you would ask, answer the right way, the way you truly feel, each of you would answer, yes, I believe that I should have more blessings than them. I believe that I should have health more than them. I believe that I should have more stuff than them. They don't even love God. They're cursing God all the time. They're talking down about God. They've never even been to church, and here I am. I'm struggling. I'm here on a Sunday night. It's pouring rain outside. I could be home underneath the blankets with the popcorn and the pajamas with the heater on. I could have all of that, but no, I'm here. And you look at all of the things that other people have, and you don't. But if you were to answer that word yes, then I have to tell you something. You're looking at things from the wrong perspective. See, Asaph begins this psalm with 
a summary statement with what you would even call a theological statement. And what he says is in verse 1, he says, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. He starts off by saying, God is good. I don't care what. God is good. He is stating the universal foundational statement <coughs> that no matter what happens, I don't care what happens, God is good. And he says that right off the top. And even though some of us have said that, oh, we sing it, we raise our hands, we, we even verbalize it. But when it compares to our circumstances, sometimes we find ourselves not thinking God is that good. I mean, I'm struggling here at Christmas. I can't even buy my kid a present. Is God really good? Is he that good to you? In verse 2, Asaph admits that he almost slipped. See, this verse is like totally contrasted from verse 1. Verse 1 says, God is good. And then the second verse, he says, but as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I nearly lost my foothold. What a, what a difference. One minute you're saying God is good, and the next minute you're saying, I'm, I'm out of here. I'm slipping. I'm going. See, God is always good. But do you really believe that he's good? Because Asaph is saying, you know what, God? I know you're good, but I'm walking. I'm out of here. Asaph was very, very close to losing his confidence in God's goodness because of what he saw around him. Now, let's really admit something. Many of us, don't raise your hand, but many of us secretly look up to those who are famous and financially secure. We really do. Why do you think they sell People magazine off the stands and Us and O and all of these magazines? All they do is show all the famous and financially secure people and they're all smiling and they're all happy. Why do you think the Osbournes was such a big hit? I mean, they had such a warped sense of family. But how did they last so many seasons? Because people were, what are they doing tonight? What? I mean, they've got so much money, they didn't even know what to do with it. And they were of interest to people. The man can't even talk. They have him on another commercial, and he's like, on a cup of coffee. What? 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 He can't even talk. And people are there watching him. What is he going to do next? Why do you think American Idol or those reality shows are so big? They've made nobodies into somebodies. They've made them just by putting them on a TV show. We're jealous of those who seem to live without boundaries. We're jealous of those who get to do what they want to do, when they want to do it, however they want to do it, as many times as they want to do it. There's a jealousy inside of us. Sometimes we want to do what we want to do, whenever we want to do it. There are people who are not here tonight because they're doing what they want to do. They're like, they flipped on the TV, like, 
I ain't changing. I'm not going to go to, it's raining. Nobody in their right mind would be out in the rain. Really? Are you all in your right mind? Because you're all here. Some of the youth and young adults are wondering right now, is it worth following Christ? Is it really worth it? I mean, why should I live for Jesus when all my friends seem to be doing okay without him? They're getting by. They cheat and they don't get caught. They lie and they get away with it. They have a boyfriend. They have a girlfriend. They don't have to be alone during the holidays like I do. It's all about me during the holidays. See, Asaph was struggling with the question, is it more important to be popular or is it more important to be pure in heart? That's where he was at. In verse 13, Asaph basically believes that there's no advantage to being holy. He is like, you know, he says, surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. Man, I have tried to live a pure life and it's all been for nothing. I could have been out there doing what they've done. But look, I've been in here. I'm trying to be holy, trying to serve God, trying to wear my purity ring, try to stay faithful, try to stay focused. I Man, I could have been out there. I could have had two or three girlfriends or boyfriends. Looking at life from Asaph's eyes, there seems to be very little reward for the righteous living. The Living Bible says this, have I been wasting my time? Why take the trouble to be pure? Asaph wonders why he's not prospering and everybody else seems to be prospering. Now he's feeling sorry for himself. Poor me. Man, I've been struggling to stay pure. I could have been out there with who knows who. I could have had love, real love that the world gives. And instead, I'm over here trying to be pure. He starts feeling sorry for himself, and then he describes it. He says, all day long I have been plagued. I have been punished every morning. Every morning he woke up and go, oh, it's just me again. There ain't nobody here. Just me. Me, myself, and I trying to serve God. What's it getting me? And you begin to start feeling sorry for yourself. And you begin to start looking at all of your friends or all your co-workers or all your classmates. And all of a sudden, they have somebody. See, we have this weird thinking that if we have somebody right next to us, then that means that we're worth something. If we don't have somebody, then that means that we're not worth that much. I want to let you know something. That's the world's thinking. That is the world's thing because you are worth a lot. You are worth someone laying down their life for you. You are worth every single ounce that you weigh and more. Even not having somebody next to you. Asaph's problems and burdens lasted all day from the moment that he woke up all the way to the next day and in the next day there were more problems waiting for him and at the end of verse 14 Asaph he's all confused he is 
in hopelessness. He's even in depression. What started off in envy in verse 2 goes all the way around. Started off as envy, but now he's beginning to look at himself and beginning to feel sorry for himself and beginning to think, man, I've been over here struggling with my Christian life. I've been trying to stay pure, trying to work for God, trying to be faithful, trying to be here. And what has it gotten me? What has it gotten me? I don't have a car. I don't have a big house. I don't have extra money for Christmas. I don't have all of this. And Asaph is complaining, and he's just feeling sorry for himself. And he begins to battle with himself, and he says, if I'd given in and talked like this, I would have betrayed your dear children. And what he's talking about here is that when you are feeling like this, and you will feel like this, but when you get to this point, be careful who you talk to. Be careful who you talk to. Asaph had been around for a while. He knew better than to be talking to a new convert. He knew better than to be dumping on somebody who could not help him. He knew better than to be voicing negativity to somebody who's brand new, who's looking for the joy of the Lord, and you're like, ah, you know what? It ain't all about that. You'll, you'll find out. How long you been here? A month? Oh, pfft. Wait till you've been here five weeks. You'll find out. See, Asaph knew that he couldn't talk to others about his doubts because it would have done more harm than good. Even though he was in that state of depression and confusion and and just hopelessness, he was concerned about the spiritual infants that he was around. He doesn't want to do anything to lead them astray, so he chooses to be quiet. If he would have spoken, he would have betrayed what he said in the first verse, God is good. Now, even though he was going through all of this, he still knew God was good, but he was going through all this stuff. Be careful. When you're in the spiritual valleys, who you talk to. Talk to a leader. Talk to a pastor. Don't talk to an unsafe friend. Don't talk to your coworkers or your friends at school that don't know God. They are not the people that you turn to when you want to have direction, when you want to have encouragement. Don't talk to anybody that doesn't have an eternal perspective because they don't have anything to offer you. Proverbs 17, 28 says, even a fool is thought wise if he keeps silent. So, you may be a fool, but nobody will know it if you just keep your mouth shut. But even though Asaph didn't talk to anybody, he was still stuck. He is still going through all this stuff. And then it says he tries to figure it out for himself. The Bible says in verse 16, when I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me. Man, now I'm oppressed. I was depressed, now I'm oppressed. Because he kept all these things inside of him, and it only made him want to explode. Ever get there where you're just like going through all this stuff, and you just want to explode on somebody? He was miserable because he couldn't talk to anybody, and then he couldn't figure it out. Why am I feeling like this? But then we come to verse 17, and this is where Asaph began to change. This is where he began to see things in a different way. See, in the first part of the psalm, Asaph was looking at all of life 
through human glasses. Have you ever looked like that? You wake up in the morning and everything is just blah. Your kids are blah. Your spouse is blah. Your job is blah. Your coworkers, your classmates, your teachers, your boss, everybody. Just like, just everybody. You come to church, the leaders are blah, the pastors are blah, everybody. Because you're looking through human glasses. But in the second part of this psalm, he takes off his human glasses and he begins to put on his spiritual glasses. How many of you remember Hobo Cali? Hobo, well, some of you may not remember, but those of you who do remember Hobo Cali, she used to have these huge glasses. She was like a Captain Kangaroo or who else? Uh, like a, uh, Barney the Monster. Ba is he a monster? Barney? <laughs> or Elmo or whatever. Okay, he was, she was like that. But she used to put on these glasses, huge glasses. And then she could see things differently than she could without them. When she was just had normal eyesight, she couldn't see anything. But when she put on these glasses, all of a sudden, she says, I see you sitting there in your, in your couch. And I see Karen, and I see Jeffrey. And she would point out all these people and name names. Can you imagine the kids are getting excited? Like, she could see me. She could see me. She couldn't see anything, but it, the glasses made all the difference. And that's what happened to Asaph. He took off his human-looking glasses where everything looked so blah and everything was so confused and everything was so hopeless and everything was so much in turmoil. And he began to put on his spiritual glasses and he began to change his perspective. He began to change the way that he saw things. What changed everything for him is the same thing that will change our perspective. Worship. Worship will change our perspective. Verse 17 says this. After he's been confused and downcast and depressed and oppressed and all this thing from 1 to 16, then we get to verse 17 and it says, Till or until I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. Once I came into the house of God, oh, then my eyes opened. Then I began to see. Then I understood. Then. The message translates like this. The message Bible says, then I understood the whole picture. See, when we come into the sanctuary of God, that's when we begin to see things clearly. That's when all of our short-sightedness disappears. And the things that we're looking at really get into focus. When you come into the house of God, you're able to fine-tune your focus and see things the way that they're supposed to be seen and not the way that you think they're supposed to be seen. The more we spend time in worshiping God, the more we draw near to God, the better we'll be able to see things the way that he wants us to see them. When these things started happening in Asaph's world and they were getting him down, he needed to change the way that he saw things. He needed to recognize where he was at. He was far from God. And whenever we get far from God, we see things different. We begin to look at the world and say, you know what? It ain't that bad. It really ain't that bad. Hey, I had friends out there. 
I partied out there. I did this. I did that. The world doesn't look too bad when you're far from God. But when you get close to God, you begin to see things the way they really are. There is this little story of eight-year-old Frank who looked forward for weeks for one particular Saturday because his father had promised to take him fishing if it didn't rain. And every day he was saying, oh, good, it's not raining, it's not raining. And there hadn't been any rain for weeks. But when Saturday came, Frank woke up because he said, oh, we're going to go fishing today. But wouldn't you know it? That Saturday, it rained. And it was raining so hard, and it looked like it was going to rain all day long. And eight-year-old Frank wandered around the house, looking out the windows, grumbling all day long. And he said, seems like the Lord would know that it would have been better to have the rain yesterday than today. He was complaining, complaining, complaining as his father sat and was reading a book. His father tried to explain to Frank how badly the rain was needed, how it would make the flowers grow and it would bring moisture to the farmer's crops. But Frank was adamant. He just said, it's not right, it's not right, it's not right. Then about 3 o'clock, the rain stopped. There's still enough time to go out fishing. And him and his dad got all the gear together and they went off to the lake. And I don't know if it was the rain or the sunshine or whatever, but the fish were biting, and the father and son returned home with a string full of fish. And at dinner time, some of the fish was already ready, and Frank's mom asked him to say grace, and Frank did. And he concluded his prayer by saying, And Lord, if I sounded grumpy earlier today, it's because I couldn't see far enough ahead. Couldn't see far enough ahead. How many of us have grumbled and struggled because we couldn't see far enough ahead? Everything is put into proper perspective when we go into the presence of God. Everything. The prosperity of the wicked will cloud our vision. But once we go before the presence of God, we go into the God of the sanctuary, then he becomes our focus. If we don't look to God, we'll see things in our human perspective and then we'll end up becoming jealous and bitter. But it's only in the sanctuary of God that Asaph could understand what the dilemma of the wicked was and the God's grace on his own life. Asaph felt like he was slipping back. He felt like he was going. And he knew it. But once he came into the sanctuary of God, his whole perspective changed. He began to see the wicked for what exactly was going to happen to them. Because he began to say in verse 19, how suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. Listen, jealousy looking and longing for the things that lost people have is only going to bring depression upon your life. Everything that they have is a fantasy. Everything that they have is actually a nightmare because whatever they have consumes them. 
Those material things have them. We are not to be consumed by anything other than Christ. And Asaph admits to his narrow-minded vision when he says, My heart was grieved and my spirit embittered. I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. See, Asaph understood who he was. He was, he calls himself a brute beast. You know, an animal, an animal, an ox, a cow, a goat, any animal that is out there and they're grazing, they graze with their head down. You never see a cow or an ox or a bull looking up in the sky and say, whoa, what a beautiful sky today. No, all they do is focus down. That's all they see is just down. And sometimes we can get like those animals and just focus on what we see. Just focus on the natural. Focus on what's right ahead of us. Focus on more food, more money, more this, more that. Instead of looking up and seeing what God has for us. Seeing the bigger picture. Seeing the whole picture, not just our little picture. When we're controlled by bitterness, we behave like an animal. That's the way we behave. I want to quickly go down to this last point because this point really, really ministered to me. In the second half of the psalm, Asaph comes to a different conclusion. And he sees that the destruction of the wicked is something that he no longer wants. He no longer craves it like he did in the beginning of the psalm. Now he's in a different place. But I want to I want you to think about this. Sometimes we may not tell others about Jesus, not because we don't know how, but because we really don't believe that what we have is better than what they have. We don't tell others about Jesus because we really don't believe that what we have is better than what they have. Look at what they have. They have a house. They have a car. They're the, the bank president. They're the president of this. They're the, they're the CEO of this. They're this. They're this. And we look at them, and we think, oh, I can't witness to them. I can't share God's love with them. I can't share with them how they're going to go to hell if they don't receive Christ as their personal Savior. You look at all the things that they have and you look at what you got and you think that what you have is so small and so minute in, in exchange for what they have. And it's the other way around. It's the other way around. Worldliness devastates our witness because we really secretly desire to be more like lost people than we do saved people. We really secretly want what they have so we don't share the gospel with the people that are around us because what are they going to think? What are they going to say? We want what they have more than we want them to have what we have. One of the best motivators for evangelism is to come into the presence of God and to let him change the way that we think. 
Think of the people that you go to school with. Think of your relatives. Think of your coworkers, your neighbors, your friends, all of those people that don't know Jesus. Are you attracted to their lifestyle? Do you wish that you could do the same thing that they do? Do you want the toys that they have that you don't have? But then you also need to ask yourself this question, where are they going to be when the judgment of God comes? Those we may have wanted to join are the very people that we need to rescue. We really need to go out there and change our perspective. We have to tell them. We have to tell them of the goodness of God. We have to tell them because they're on a road to destruction. We cannot sit on the good news while people are slipping and sliding straight into hell. See, God gave Asaph strength. He gave him stability. He gave him everything that he could because even when Asaph was struggling, Asaph still worshipped. He was still in the house of God. When he was going through all his struggles and he was saying, should I go, shouldn't I go? Look at them, look at the wicked, look at this. But where did he find himself? In the sanctuary of God. You didn't find him sitting home on Sunday nights. You didn't have, find him sitting home or sleeping on Sunday mornings. You found him in the house of God and that's where his perspective changed. That's where he was able to come to the realization that the way he was thinking was off. But had he not come into the sanctuary of God, he would still be out there saying, you know what? What they got is not that bad. I think I could, I could have a little bit of this and a little bit of that. When you're getting like that, when you feel like the wicked are prospering and you're not, when you're feeling sorry for yourself, get around godly people who are going to encourage you, who are going to make you look up rather than look down like a brute beast. Maybe Asaph was spending too much time with the ungodly instead of the godly. More with the ain'ts instead of the saints. It's worth serving God. It is worth serving God. You got to come to that realization. No matter where you're at in your life, got to come to that realization that God is good and it's worth serving God. Now, I don't know what you've been going through. I don't know what things you've been looking at. Oh, it's Christmas time and all of the wants come out. All of the things come out. And we begin to look at people and look at all the things that they have and all the things that we don't. Keep it in perspective. Keep it in perspective. Where is their destiny and where is yours? So you may not have the latest iPod. So you may not have the latest computer. So you may not have the latest car. You may not have any of that. You may have like old Mother Hubbard cupboards. But when you come into the sanctuary of God, it changes your perspective. It changes the way that you look at things. It changes the way you look at people. Envy will allow a bitter spirit to come in. And then you'll blame God for what you don't have. But when you come into the house of God, your perspective changes. Stand with me tonight.
And as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I want to ask if there's anybody here, first and foremost, that you may not know Christ as your personal Savior. You're here today and, and maybe you're looking and you're thinking about all the things that you don't have this Christmas. You're thinking about all the struggles that you're going through and all the difficulties and you've been oppressed and depressed and everything else and the problems are overwhelming you and you're like Asaph. You wake up every morning and you just look at, oh my gosh, just another day. God wants to come in and rescue you. He wants to change the way that you see things. He wants to change your heart, change your life. He wants to put you on a different road. And if you're here tonight and you don't know him as your personal Savior, would you raise your hand? I'd like to pray with you tonight. Is there anybody here? God bless you. God bless you. Amen. So for the benefit of those two, we're going to pray the sinner's prayer all together. And I want you to pray with me especially those two that raise their hands. Say, Jesus, I want to ask you to come into my heart tonight. Change my life. Change my perspective. I believe that you came to earth. You died and rose again on the third day just for me. You shed your blood that I might have life after I live this life here on earth. Come into my heart. I give my life to you. Amen. And for those of you who tonight have been going through this and you maybe you've it's been quiet and maybe it's really even a hard thing to admit that you've even looked at the wicked and, and looked at how they prospered. But you're not alone. You're not alone. The enemy gets us all. Tries to get us sidetracked. Tries to get us to lose focus. Tries to get us to look at the things that people have that we don't have. And if you're far from God tonight, if you need for him to change the way that you think, change your perspective, if you need to repent, if you need to make sure that this is the place you come to, if you haven't told anybody or won a soul to the Lord, then today's the day to repent. Because failure to win a soul is a failure to do God's will. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to open up the altars for you to come and to get it right with God. Your perspective, your attitude, whatever it is that you need to do, the altars are open for you today. I will bless the Lord.